This message was presented at the Amen Missions 2017 Bible Conference Shaken But Not Forsaken in Port Elizabeth, South Africa. For more resources like this, visit us at www.amen-missions.co.za. Amen. Advent message to every nation. So we're going to talk about habit now and how we change habit and why, habit was, why habits were set up, why God designed us to even have the ability to create habits. Um, all of this is very important. So there are good habits, obviously, and bad habits. You, you, you want to form good habits, obviously. Ephesians 4, 22 to 24 says that you put off concerning the former conversation, the old man, which is corrupt according to the deceitful lusts and be renewed in the spirit of your mind and that you put on the new man, which after God is created in righteousness and true holiness. Ellen White says it is by a repetition of acts that habits are established and character confirmed. Habits make character and character is the only thing you get to take with you to heaven. So every year in the United States and probably in South Africa, you make New Year's resolutions, right? It's one of the one of the one of the most ironic things ever created was the New Year's resolution. I won't get into it except only 8% of people who make New Year's resolutions stick to them, and those who don't usually abandon them after just one week. So the first week of the year, I like going to the gym, and when I go to the gym, I know the first week of the year, I can't find a parking space, I can't get on a machine. One week later, it's back to normal. People don't hold to their decisions very long. So where do habits live in your brain? Well, it lives in the basal ganglia. is where emotions, pattern recognition, and memories are. So you can find a basal ganglia down in here. The prefrontal cortex is this part of your brain here. This is the frontal lobe of your brain. The human brain is 33% frontal lobe. The next smartest animal, what's the next smartest animal after a human? One of them lives here in Africa. The chimpanzee is 13% frontal lobe. And the other one is a porpoise in the ocean. And the porpoise is also 13% frontal lobe. A third of the human brain is frontal lobe. That says a lot about humans and our ability for intellect and to worship God. That's what the frontal lobe really allows us to do. Um, so it, it goes to sleep when habits are formed. So the, what happens is you form a habit. At first, when you're doing it, you're thinking about it in your frontal lobe. After a while, it becomes automatic and your frontal lobe turns off and the cigarette just automatically comes out of the box and into the mouth. You understand what I'm saying? Automatically, the TV is turned on when you walk in the house. You don't even have to think about it. You just do it without really thinking, do I really, is there even anything for me to watch on television? You see, some of you are laughing because you know what I'm saying. How do you form habits? Well, first of all, habits make things easier. So I took typing in, 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 in junior high school it, to properly type, which I don't really properly type, but to properly type is a habit that you develop by practicing on the keyboard, right? So God designed it so that you could do things easier and easier without having to think about them, like play the piano, like run a machine, like drive a car, because you get, it becomes habitual. And your brain can then use that energy to do something else. Like while you're typing, you can actually think about what it is you want to write because you don't think about typing anymore. See how God designed us? That's why the Bible says we are fearfully and wonderfully made. Never forget that you're fearfully and wonderfully made. Every action is received and passed down one of the nerve cells. There are dendrites that receive the message. Um, Axons send the message to the next cell. 
Between the cells is a synapse or a space. And in this space, the neurotransmitters such as acetylcholine jump across to send messages. So if this is one nerve ending, that's another one. Acetylcholine piles up here, and when it's ready, it jumps across the nerve ending, sends the signal down, and that's how the information is passed around in your brain. So now there are things in the French that are, French is called boutons. In English, it's actually buttons. These are small little vesicles. So this is the end where the acetylcholine is. All these sacks of extra acetylcholine begin to develop when you develop a habit. So as you're learning to play the piano and you place your finger right, your body puts a little extra bit of, of acetylcholine in a bouton right here. Then another one here, another one here. Until eventually there's so much acetylcholine here that for you to fire the nerve that allows you to use your fingers to play the piano, there's an overwhelming amount of acetylcholine. You don't have to think about it. It just happens. So watch this. When a habit is formed, the neuroanatomy of your brain is permanently changed. Y'all missing this thing. When you form a bad habit, you form something that you cannot actually fully ever efface. You can't really ever get rid of it. We'll talk about what you do then. If an act is repeated, more bountains are made. Repetition deepens the groove, making the action or thought easier to repeat. So we can show you a diagram of this. Here's the axon. The bountains come down here. Makes it easier to go. Here's an actual electron microscope of it. And so you see all of the, the dendrites here. The bountain shows up here. So there's extra acetylcholine to shoot so that you can fire. That makes memory. That makes things happen easier. Acetylcholine is the neurochemical of memory. So that's how habits are formed. They're formed by your brain actually changing its structure to make certain things easier to do. We'll come back to it. Addiction is different. Addiction has four stages. So when someone gets addicted to nicotine, for example, first they try a cigarette and they get a little buzz. So when I was a kid, and the kid I didn't ever try cigarettes. I was too afraid of my mother. But um, <laughs> if you smoke the cigarette... One of some of my friends would say, man, I get this nice little buzz, a little high from the cigarette, right? And so they liked it. So they, guess what? You start, you do it every now and again because you like the buzz. But eventually, the buzz makes you get a mood swing. So you don't feel so good. School didn't go so good that day. Those friends would run home and do what? Smoke a cigarette, get a little buzz and feel better about themselves. After a while, they become preoccupied with the mood swing. They're sitting in school like, man, I need a cigarette. Eventually, the you get obsessed with the thing. And you may not even get the mood swing anymore. So after a while, you reset your brain. So what happens is as, as you over-release, I'm going to show you the diagram of dopamine in a second. As you over-release the dopamine, eventually what happens is you need, your, your natural dopamine production gets depleted. So in order for you to feel normal and not feel depressed and not feel anxious, you actually need the cigarette to just feel Normal. Have you ever seen somebody running to go get a cigarette? Shaking and freaking out and they got to go? I have a nurse that, that, that we're trying to help her quit smoking. And let me tell you something. If she don't have a minute, she's mean. mean. She go have a cigarette and come back, boy. She's just as calm and happy. Back to normal. So how does addiction pathway look in the brain? Well, just like, those, just like the acetylcholine, the dopamine receptors load up with dopamine here. They're released. Dopamine is the chemical in your brain. That says you got to have it. It increases with sex, chewing, especially after dark. If you chew after dark, your brain releases more dopamine than if you eat the same food before dark. That makes sense, right? That's why some of us like eating so late at night. Anything done that increases dopamine changes your mood. Anything that changes your mood can become addictive. Dopamine runs our reward pathway in our brain. 
Ellen White says it like this. She says, what the child sees and hears is drawing deep lines upon the tender mind, which no after circumstances in life can entirely efface. Just like the science says now, the neurochemists will tell you, neuroscientists neuro, uh, um, will tell you, once you make that habit, you can't get rid of it. Ellen White said that decades before science caught up to her. And some people say she's not a prophet. I don't know how she would have known this if she's not. The intellect is now taking shape and the affections receiving direction and strength. Repeated acts in a given course become habits. These may be modified by severe training in afterlife, but are seldom changed. Difficult to change a habit. So you don't want to form a bad habit. So you need to parent your children out of bad habits. Amen? Once formed, habits become more and more firmly impressed upon the character. The intellect is continually receiving its mold from opportunities and advantages, ill or well improved. Day by day, we form characters which place the students as well-disciplined soldiers under the banner of Prince Emmanuel, or rebels under the banner of the Prince of Darkness. Which shall it be? So when your child gets the habit that every time they pass a drive through window at a fast food joint, they start screaming and hollering, and you say, you know what? Either to stick a chicken McNugget in their mouth than to deal with them, you create a habit. Think of so how do you want to so how do you want to get out of a habit? So again, we don't want to judge. I don't when I do health and temperance lectures, it's not about judging you and making you feel bad. To quit smoking is difficult. There's no point in judging a cigarette smoker and calling them a sinner. Pointless. They now have an addiction. It's a disease that needs to be treated. The moral decision was when you started getting the buzz. You made a moral decision to take something you probably knew wasn't good for you. Once you're addicted, you're addicted. And now we got to try and get you out of the addiction. Think of specific small steps you can take every day that will have the same result. If you fail at any of these small steps, which you inevitably will, brush it off and realize that failure and recovery is part of any process. So how do you get over habits? You create new ones. With a deeper groove in your brain, with more acetylcholine that you will do instead of the old habit. So if you come home every day from school and the first thing you do is turn on the television and you don't do your studies, you have got to change. You've got to take enough time where you don't turn on the television and you open your book instead for your brain to eventually make that the new habit and television the old one. Here's the problem. If you ever go back and just start clicking on the TV again, the old habit never totally disappeared. This is why we're going to get a glorified body before we go to heaven. Because we have to have a renewed mind. The anatomy of our brain must be made over. Now, the power of Christ will give you new habits to overtake the old ones. He can give you victory over any sin. But the brain has been tattered and, and damaged in this life. You're going to get a brand new one in terms of the actual anatomy of it when you get to glory. You keep the character, though. So... You got to make small steps to make a change. So how do you do that? Well, have a change partner. You'll do better with an accountability partner. And of course, make it spiritual. Righteousness is by what? It's by faith. It will take prayer and Bible study to have any real changes. Real change comes from an experience with Christ. So what I used to tell patients when I used to work in addiction medicine at the Veterans Hospital, and they were addicted to nicotine, we would get index cards. That's what you guys call them, the little cards you study with in school. And I would have them write on one side of the card, and this is something you should practice if you're trying to break a habit or, or an addiction. You write on one side of the card a Bible promise. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. You write on one side uh, 2 Timothy 1.7, for God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. Uh, and there are, the Bible's full of promises, 
right? I will never leave you nor forsake you. There's tons of them. On the one side, you write the Bible promise. And what I would tell these veterans is, who, do, who matters to you? They'd give me a list of people. Inevitably, most of them would come up with a child or a grandchild. And I'd say, what about your granddaughter? What do you hope for your granddaughter? What do you want to see your granddaughter do? And most of the veterans, I want to be there to see her get graduate from high school or college. I want to see my granddaughter get married. And I would say, so write that on the other side of the card. So on one side of the card, you write, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. On the other side, I say, I want to be alive to see Rebecca get married. Amen. And here's what I tell them. Before you smoke a cigarette, you've got to read both sides of the card. Before you have a piece of cake, you got to read both sides of the card. Before you eat that piece of chicken, you got to read both sides of the card. And guess what happens? It changes it from a mindless, habitual activity and it makes you mindful again. So now each cigarette means I am distancing myself from seeing my granddaughter get married. Each cigarette says, each, each cigarette that I smoke says, I don't believe God when he says I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. If you, and how many cigarettes are there in a pack of cigarettes? 20. Boy, you answered that quick. <laughs> I get somebody every time I do that joke. Every time I do that joke. But he's right. There are 20 cigarettes in a box of cigarettes. So I would have to make up 20 cards. If they smoke a pack a day before every cigarette, they have to read one of the cards. And you know what happened? Guys would, in me, I mean, I would, sometimes we still give them nicotine supplement like the gums or something sometimes they go on um Zyban or chantrix or something but you'd be amazed at what just the index cards would do we would tell them to cut straws the length of cigarettes puff on a straw instead of a cigarette because there's a nerve plexus in the back of your throat and the habit part of it you still do this is the habit part the nicotine is the addiction part so we would do that we would we would um we'd also tell them there was, um the index cards the, the the puffing on this oh and then having um healthy snacks right Healthy things like grapes, like, like nuts, like seeds, and you can munch on if you really got a bad, needed a fix really, really bad. Um, so there were different things that we would try and do. And of course, it would take prayer and it would take having an accountability partner. So I challenge you, whatever it is you're trying, habit you're trying to break, you can use the index card method and it will help you to get better and help you to move off the habit. But you got to admit you have the habit first and you got to want to change. And the Bible says to confess your faults one to another. That what happened? That you may be healed. Having a prayer group, a study group that you share these things with will help you to heal. That's one of the most important things. So I'm going to wrap up this session by giving you some just some general information of stuff that you should look at. Um, one of them is Eat to Live. It's a New York Times bestseller by Joe Furman. You should go to his website. He's got lots and lots of materials. That book could have been written by an Adventist. The saddest thing is that all of these guys aren't Adventists in the States that are really promoting the message we've had for 100 plus years. And it's really sad. They're making a whole lot of money off of it, actually. And they're changing a lot of people's lives, more importantly. So that's one of the things. And then, so in his book, he has some pictures. I just want to show you some of the pictures, right? So people say, well, you know, I'm going to switch from whole milk to 2% milk because I want less fat. But you notice, there's actually not that much difference in the fat content between whole milk and 2% milk. Then, I mean, some other interesting stuff that he shares. Um, more bulk means fewer calories. So here's 400 calories of oil. One of the reasons why you want to eliminate oil from your diet. Deep frying and stuff is real bad. Frying stuff is bad. Find another way to cook it. Don't cook it with oil. This is 400 calories of chicken. 
has 400 calories of spinach, eggplant, and beans. You see the difference? See how you can eat till you're full and get fewer calories if you eat a plant-based diet than if you eat an oily diet or a meat diet? So that's one of the things that he shows. So he talks about you can have unlimited amounts of raw vegetables, cooked vegetables, and you know you can, you can see the list of the different types of vegetables. He wants you to eat a lot of beans and legumes and fresh fruits, at least four fresh fruits a day. Um, he talks about limiting certain things if you're trying to lose weight, like nuts and seeds and stuff. But he definitely says off-limit is dairy, animal products, between-meal snacking, fruit juice, oils, sodas. Sodas are very bad for you, of course. He tells you to have a 10-week um, plan, salad as your main dish, um, eating fruits, um, um, and eating a lot of variety of greens. Um, talks about eating legumes, which is, of course, what Daniel and the three Hebrew boys wanted to eat, the pulse. Um, and getting animal and dairy products out of your diet. Again, not an Adventist, but this is what he recommends. Um, and then he talks about eating mushrooms and eggplants. Some Adventists don't like eating mushrooms. Um, you don't have to eat mushrooms, but mushrooms actually do have the potential to block the development of fat and cancer cells. If they're lightly cooked, they're healthier. So, so you can do the research for yourself if you want to eat mushrooms. I won't say four against. I have a lot of information on, on, on all the different foods and what's in them, but I wanted to talk about exercise a little bit. So physical activity can affect the physiology of the brain by increasing cerebral capillary growth, blood flow, oxygenation, the productions of neurotrophins, growth of nerve cells in the hippocampus where you learn. So any child you want to do good in school needs to exercise. So the secret to having a smart child is diet, plant-based whole food diet, exercise so that they develop the, the, the brain cells, actually get enough blood supply and sleep. Did you know you actually form your memories when you sleep? And it's when you sleep that your immune system actually does the bulk of its work. So if you have a child that goes to bed at one o'clock in the morning on the phone, texting and tweeting and all this foolishness, and they have to get up early in the morning, they won't form memories, they won't remember things for their exams the same way. Sleep is critical to learning. So I just throw that in there because we're on, on, on exercise in the brain. Um, but um, it helps with neurotransmitter levels, development of nerve connections, density of neural network and brain tissue volume. These changes may be associated with improved cognition functions, including attention. Exercise helps with attention. Why? You burn up a lot of the extra energy. When they sit in front of the teacher, they're less likely to go running around the room. But if all they do is sit in front of the TV, they've got all this brain stimulation, no body stimulation, the poor teacher's going to have a fit. Information processing, storage and retrieval, enhance coping, enhance positive effect, reduce sensation of cravings of, and pain. So you raise your pain threshold when you exercise. Um, and there's different types of exercise. So they show you here. And an inactive lifestyle, you have the shortest lifespan. Regular, moderate exercise, you can add 1.6 years to your life. But it, remember, moving keeps you moving. So if you want to be 75, 85, 95 and still moving, you got to keep moving. Right? So you can live to be 85 and be bedridden, but you don't want that. And high levels of physical activity can add up to 3.8 years of life. Um, compared to an inactive person, um, if, you're, if you do one and a half hours of exercise per week, you have a 20% lower risk of premature death. Three hours of exercise a week, 27 to 28% lower risk. And five hours of exercise per week, 33 to 34% lower risk. So it was mentioned earlier that affluence messes with these things. I was telling them um, this morning that in America, one of the things you notice people do is they will drive around in a parking lot for a half an hour looking for a parking space in the front of the building. 
I don't want people digging my car, so I park far and walk. Because I know everybody going to park way back there, <laughs> so my car is safe back there. So, but you get a little extra walking, but just a little bit of walking. So I tell patients, and I have elderly uh, geriatric patients, and I do wound care, and their wounds are really bad, and they need to get blood to, their, to the parts of their body where they have the wounds. And they'll tell me, oh, I can't go. I don't want to go outside. I don't want to do this. I say, take your walker. And every commercial, because be, they sit home watching game shows all day, take your walker, and every time there's a commercial, walk around the couch. Make a path. Just walk around the couch. And you know how many patients we've cured of their wounds? Because we've gotten them to elevate the part of their body that has the wound and to walk. Exercise is powerful. And there's three types of exercise, cardiovascular, resistance, flexibility, all of these different things that you need to do. Resistance is really good. So you want to lift weights, especially young men. You want a nice body. Even young ladies, you want to keep your body the rest of your life. Build muscle. Because that baby fat is very susceptible to gravity. I won't say anything else. It's the truth anyhow. But if you build muscle when you're young, you have muscle when you're old. So with young people especially, you live in an era where there are gymnasiums, they have weights, lift weights. Now, as people get wealthier and wealthier, one of the things that happens is they drive around the parking lot a lot, but they don't walk anymore. So, you know, as people are poor, they do more walking, they get more wealthy, they do less walking. So you have to be intentional about getting your walking in and making sure you exercise, play basketball. Young people should be playing basketball, football, you know, going outside and, get, and, and doing these things in order to have a strong and healthy body. It's something you need to do. The television is your enemy because it will captivate you and you'll sit two, three hours motionless. Think about that for a second. The human body was not designed to be so motionless. You think Jacob and, and Isaac and Abraham, these guys just sitting around with their legs crossed. They had stuff to go outside and do. Nobody ate unless somebody hunted or they, somebody went and pl- picked the field or somebody went and did something. In our era, all we do is walk to the refrigerator, open the door, grab something, and walk back to our couch. So you got to make exercise a serious part of life. And watch this. It's never too late to start exercising. Ellen White talks about the best exercise being walking. And I would, I would second that. For most people, if you can't do anything else and you can walk, walk. 15 minutes at a time till you can get to 20 minutes, till you get to 30 minutes, till you get to an hour, hour and a half. And the other exercise that's really good, and you guys have some beautiful beaches I've seen, Swim. Swimming the, the, is good for your joints. There's no pressure on your joints. The, the, the water, the buoyancy lifts your body up so that you don't, you know, so that you don't, you, you know, you can do more in the water. Especially if you go do like aqua aerobics at the local gym. That's a good way to begin to reverse disease and to get healthier faster. So that's, um, those are all of the things that I would recommend. I think my time is up. So we're going to pray. And we're going to ask probably for some, I, I think they're going to want you guys to sing because... Eight minutes till the next time, and everyone will be coming back over. But um, I want to I thank you guys who came to my sessions. Um, this is tough stuff. The health message stuff is very difficult stuff. I read, the book, um, I read the book, The China Study, a few years ago and started to try and go vegan. And when I saw that documentary that all of you need to watch, What the Health, on, on Netflix, and watch um, um, Eating You Alive, there's a black cardiologist on there who went to Oakwood with me, Adventist guy, you'll love him, Columbus Batiste. Um, And you need to watch um, Forks Over Knives. If you haven't watched it before, watch it again. When you watch these things and you realize this is the secular world telling you this, this is not the church anymore. 
I, I hope it convicts you. That's what happened to me when I read the book, The China Study. I read this book and I realized, man, I'm, eat, I'm eating cheese, I'm drinking milk, I'm, and all this stuff is so bad for me. And I was convicted and I was like, well, I got to stop. And I, I thought about it for a second. I said, I've been hearing this in church my whole life. And two guys who probably don't believe in God write a book. And all of a sudden I believe them. I was convicted and I felt really bad that I didn't trust the Bible and the, and the spirit of prophecy enough to make these lifestyle changes without needing the world to tell me to do it. So I challenge you that you had a prophet that warned you and you have a scripture that actually gives you everything you need to know about eating a healthy diet. That we follow what God says on these issues. Amen. Amen. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you, Lord, for your health message. We thank you, Lord, for your truth. I ask, Father God, in a special way. That we would all make the steps to become healthier. Father God, we're not to judge or beat each other up with this health message. And we're not to make this a salvific issue. But Father God, we do hope that we would make up our minds to live for you and surrender even our plates to you, our refrigerators to you, our budget when it comes to eating to you. And Father God, we would eat the food of heaven now in preparation for heaven later. So our prayer in Jesus' precious and holy name, amen. This message was presented at the Amen Missions 2017 Bible Conference, Shaken But Not Forsaken, in Port Elizabeth, South Africa. Amen Missions, a supporting ministry of the Seventh-day Adventist Church, is a youth-led ministry seeking to inspire young people to be Bible-based, mission-focused, and Christ-centered Christians. Our aim is to assist in taking the gospel of Jesus Christ to all the world in this generation. For more resources like this, or to find out how to support this work, visit us at www.amen-missions.co.za. Amen. Advent message to every nation. This recording was produced by the Preparation Ministry.